Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Uh, uh, good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, this is uh, amazing. This is fun. We've been thinking about this and planning for this for a long time. It's good to be together, all of us together in one space. So glad that you are here. My name is Vince. I am one of the elders here at the Town Church on staff as the pastor of a preaching and vision. So if we haven't met... Um, I'd love to try to meet you at some point today. Um, I'll be around all uh, afternoon, probably, so it's good to be here together. We are here to celebrate one thing, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has risen from the grave. That's what we're here to celebrate. This morning, what we've gathered together this morning... Um, to celebrate is the finished work of Jesus who died, who was buried, and who defeated sin and death forever through his resurrection. That's why we are here. And as a church, we have been working uh, toward this moment for over a year as we've walked through the gospel account of John in the Bible. This is what we do as a church. We pick a book of the Bible. We work through it from beginning to end. And we very intentionally lined this up over a year ago to land in chapter 20 of John on Easter Sunday. The book of John is about the life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we spent the last year learning about the way of Jesus. And it's been timely, hasn't it? I don't know about you all, but every week it's been like another punch in the gut for me to see what what God is showing us through His Word. We've needed this together as a church. We've needed it. It's been a doozy of a year, hasn't it? Sorry for the foul language there. It's been a doozy of a year. There have been ups and downs, and, and many of us have been wondering about the lasting hope in anything. In anything, because everything feels chaotic. Will this pandemic ever end? Maybe some of us have asked or are still asking. And on top of that, in this last year, forest fires, economic hardship, racial tension, political unrest, two Taylor Swift albums. There has been a lot in this last year. But you know what? What, um, what we've walked through over these last months has not been outside of what God has planned for us. It's not been outside of what God has put in front of us um, to, to see more of himself. And I'm, I'm not about to tell you what that reason is for you, because I don't know. Uh, but I do know this, that God desires to be known by us. He loves us, desires us to be known by us. Uh, or to, to know him, to be known uh, by us to such an extent that he would, in love, pay the penalty of our offenses against him by giving his son as an atonement so that we could be near him in relationship. In love, God sent his son. This is what we've looked at in John over the last several months, and I, and I know many of us, especially after a year like this past year, come in here this morning with skepticism and cynicism. I'll just confess 
There's been a little bit of that in me as I've walked through this last year. This past year, maybe for some of us, maybe this past decade for some of us, has given us reason to lack hope in all kinds of ways. But there is hope. And in the context of the book of John, this hope is revealed to us in the unthinkable, really in the unbelievable ways. We, we, ga- we gathered on Friday evening. Some of you were there to remember the death of Jesus. We left the events where they were in chapter 19. We just left it hanging. Jesus' dead body at rest in a grave on a dark, gloomy, somewhat hopeless Friday evening. Do you ever think, what were his disciples experiencing at that time? I always think about Saturday. What were they doing? Just go on, mow their lawn. What, what were they doing in that moment? This event had to crush their hopes. It's possible that some of us have experienced hopelessness in some pretty extreme ways as well. The followers of Jesus, his closest friends, wanted to believe that Jesus had come to bring hope to their lives. So they struggled with doubt. They struggled with doubt like the rest of us. They weren't sure that they really believed all of his claims. We see that all the way through the book. They walked with him, but they, they weren't sure that they really believed all of his claims. But they had some hope. They had a little bit of hope. And on top of all of that, these were his friends. Right? These are his friends, and now Jesus, their friend, is dead. What are they experiencing? Jesus was killed on a cross like a criminal, and they, wit- they had to witness it. They had to watch it. That's a humiliating death. Hopes dashed for them. We pick up the story in chapter 20 this morning, and we find hope in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our doubt, maybe our own confusion and doubt. Who needs that this morning? A little crowd participation. Who needs a little bit of hope in the midst of confusion and doubt, right? We, we all do. I, I bet we would all have that to some extent. Let's, let's meet a few of Jesus' followers and look at their response. So if you have a Bible this morning... Um, You can turn to John 20. If you don't, I'll have the verses here on the screen behind me. I want us to look uh, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid them. Mary Magdalene is a woman who had followed Jesus with his twelve disciples, a woman who served Jesus along with his disciples, a woman who, we're told in another gospel account, um, was filled with demons, and those demons were cast out maybe by Jesus himself. On the first day of the week, that Sunday, the Sabbath has now ended, and she's gone probably to finish out the work of preparing the body of Jesus for burial. Think about this. She served Jesus in his life. And she's serving Jesus now still in his death. Early that morning, she goes to the tomb, realizes that the stone had been rolled away, that door had been uh, 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 rolled away, and Jesus' body is not there. So what does she do? She runs to find Peter and the other disciple that Jesus loved. John, the author of this book, calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, That's what I I tell my wife all the time. I just uh, respond in that way. I am the husband you love. It's the way the author, John, describes himself. And Mary runs to Peter and John early that morning and says, what? Jesus has been raised from the dead. Is that what she says? No, it's not what she says. She says, someone has taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put his body. 
There's fear there, right? Certainly some doubt. She's concerned that the Jews, the ones who, who set Jesus up to be crucified, the ones who, we, we saw this on Friday, wanted to break his legs to make sure he was dead, the ones who had already put fear into Joseph of Arimathea, right? He's concerned about the Jews. He's fearful. She's concerned these Jews took his body. Her fear seems to be centered around where they put the dead body of Jesus. Where is it? Which means what? It, it means... Yes, she's called him Lord. There's some respect there. But, but it also seems that she's most concerned about the finality of his dead body on earth, right? That's what she's most concerned about. Where is the body? Which may indicate she doesn't have much hope for what is to come. She's just thinking about the dead body. Where is it? Does she believe what Jesus had spoken several times before? I will die, but then be raised on the third day. I wonder this morning, friends. How many of us would have run to the tomb with the same mentality? Resurrection, not even a category for us. Not even something that's in our minds. Even though we know the story, how many of us would have thought about that as so far-fetched that we would have a hard time believing anything outside of our own categories, our own personal categories? Did you consider that this morning? That Jesus has power to conquer death, that death could not hold him. What, what would you have run to the tomb thinking? Consider that this morning. Let's read on. Look at verse 3. So Peter went out with, with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Peter and John take off running John, a faster runner, he's got to throw that in, right? Not only am I the one that Jesus loved, but I'm also a faster runner. He gets there first. They, they ran, which was not a typical action for grown men in the, in the day. Let's just be honest, it's not a typical action for grown men or women in our day, right? Unless you're dressed for an exercise of running, it's not a typical activity, Right? If you're walking into a grocery store, get here, if you're walking into a grocery store and someone, come, a grown man comes running out of the grocery store, you do one of two things. You tackle him or you turn and run with him, right? Because you don't know what's happening in there. It's not a typical thing that, that you would see an adult man running out of the store. Kids run all over the place and it's huge, right? Kids, let me hear your voices. Who in here can run the fastest? I just hear one me. I want to hear more. Like who? Yeah. All right. So there we go. That's normal. But for a grown man to be running is not typical. If Robbie came up here right now and whispered something in my ear, and we both took off running out of that door, you all would be thinking, what is happening? Right? You'd run with us. We're going to get meat quickly. Right? So that's what we're doing. Peter and John take off running. Why? There's fear. I'm sure there's Maybe some anticipation. All of the what-ifs are flooding through their mind. What were they expecting when they got there? Look at verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus 
head not lined with the linen cloth, but folded up in a plate all by itself. John leaned in first to look inside this tomb. He saw the linen cloth, the burial cloth lying there, but he didn't go into the tomb. He now had proof that Jesus wasn't there. I don't know what he's thinking, but he had proof that Jesus wasn't there. Peter comes up behind him, huffing and puffing, knowing now that he shouldn't have skipped leg day. And Peter goes straight in. Peter gets a first-hand view. He sees the same thing, but we get the detail that the burial cloths were lying there in one spot. A piece of cloth that was wrapped around the face and head of Jesus were neatly folded and placed in a different spot. Why would John, the author, give us these details? By the way, first-hand details. Why would he give us those details? To show us a few things. First, John is showing us that Jesus thought he wasn't stolen. That was the thought of the day. It was, it was stolen. Someone who, uh, someone who would come in and steal a body would not take off the burial clothes and fold them neatly. That's not the act of a thief, right? What thief do you know that like breaks the window to get in and then calls a repairman to fix the window? That just doesn't happen. So John's showing us that Jesus' body wasn't stolen. Second, John is showing us that Jesus was absolutely raised to new life. This is resurrection life. This wasn't Jesus waking up from a deep sleep, unaware, scared, and scrambling to know what's going on and untangling himself in tightly wound burial clothes. No, this is Jesus who knew the plan of God the Father. He knew the plan of God the Father that he would be crucified, buried, and on the third day raised to new life. Friends, this is new resurrected life began, uh, beginning to pump through the veins of Jesus just before, just as before he knew the plan of God. And I get this picture of Jesus sitting up calmly, taking off the burial clothes, lying them in one place, taking off the wrap around his face, folding it neatly in, in, in another place. This is not a detail about a frantic action of Jesus, trying to scramble to get out of something he was caught in. These are, de- these are not details of a misdiagnosis, that Jesus wasn't um, dead, he was just asleep, and now he's come to know. These are calculated actions of the Son of God being raised to life. John is going to great lengths to give us some details as proof of what has happened firsthand. Eyewitness accounts. John was there. Peter was there. Uh, the one who had just days previous denied that he even knew Jesus. He was there. And they ran to get there. And Jesus has been raised to new life. And what's the outcome of such an event? I want you to look at, at verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, there's that jab again. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The other disciple, the faster one, stepped into the tomb after Peter and we're told that he saw and believed. There was action. There was response. He saw and believed. This is beautiful. All the way back in chapter 2 of John, Jesus is, is cleaning out the temple from those who are setting up in the lobby to sell things um, in an offense of God. And he comes through and kicks them out. But, but the Jews said, well, hey, what authority do you have to do this? It's all the way back in chapter 2. Do you remember that scene where Jesus uh, wipes out the temple and he runs people off? These Jewish leaders were unhappy to say the least. Because Jesus says, hey, if this temple is destroyed, I'll, I'll raise it up in three days. But here's what John tells us in chapter 2. He says, but, but Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. 
When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. We're fast forwarding now. This is what Jesus had said, and now it's there. Jesus said this would be the case. Now in this early morning visit to the tomb, John saw the burial clothes lying there, and he said, yep, this would happen. Jesus has been raised from the dead just as he said it would happen, and what's the response? John Believed. He believed that Jesus is who he says he is, that, that he is everything he said he would be. He believed the resurrection of Jesus caused John to believe. We get to verse 10, which I, I left off, off here, um, but let me, let me go to it here. Here's how this passage ends. Look at that. It's kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? Then the disciples went back to their homes. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Belief that Jesus is who he says he is hits them. At least John and the other disciples went back home. I think this is John's way of telling us they went back to their lives. They they went back to their lives. The resurrection of Jesus has happened. The disciples went back to their lives. But now, with resurrection, belief, and hope, they didn't go back to their homes to think, ah, oh, whatever. No, they went back with a, a different perspective, with resurrection, belief, and hope. And this is the same for us as well, isn't it? This morning, the resurrection of Jesus has happened. He is alive. We live our lives. We go back to our homes. We go back to our families. Tomorrow morning, you go back to your jobs. But friends, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we don't go back to our homes, jobs, families, unchanged and unaffected. We don't go back just, no, whatever. No, we go back uh, because uh, the resurrection changes us. We have hope in the midst of uncertainty and discouragement and apathy and doubt and fear. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. It gives us hope. Hope now, knowing that Jesus has defeated death. We have a God who's stronger than the very thing that gets all of us. It gets all of us. Death. No one escapes that. Peter, the very one who denied he even knew Jesus three times over, struggled to believe he, even as he looked into the tomb after the resurrection, because of the hope of the resurrection, he then became a leader in the church. He saw and believed, became a leader in the church. And, and what Peter says to, uh, to the people of Israel, we see in Acts chapter 2, we read this on, on a Good Friday, but we didn't read it all. Here's what we read. Uh, speaking of Jesus, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's what we read on Friday. We didn't read it all. Because of what comes next, God raised him up. Losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It wasn't possible. Uh, Paul, the apostle, says something very similar. Romans chapter 6, he says, We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. No longer. Friends, Jesus, our God, is more powerful than death. And it's because of his death and his defeat of death, we have hope. It was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. Death no longer has dominion over him. Paul tells us in another letter that he wrote, we read it earlier, it was, it was sung in a song and read earlier, death and its sting are swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. So Mary, Peter, John, run to the tomb, see the swallowing of death and victory. Jesus is not there. He's risen. He's victorious. He has done what he said he would do. We have hope. Because of that, we have hope in something greater into the future. We have hope even now, knowing that we have a God who defeated sin and death. And in belief, we get to join in relationship 
with him. Here's where we'll end. We've worked through the book of John with this theme in mind over and over. The the very reason that John wrote this book, he says this, John the author says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why did John write this book? Someone, just yell it out. So that we would believe. So that we, the reader, would believe. Uh, Along with the disciples, so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in that, we would have life. Friends, every single one of you is here today to hear that. I'm convinced of that. Young and old, right? New to church, never gone to church, grew up in the church. Listen, in our sin, we have been separated from relationship with God. We deserve punishment because of our sin. Jesus, God's Son, came to earth to live a perfect life and die according to the definite plan of God. And if He stayed dead, it fizzles out. We just go home. But He didn't. There's hope. We have hope because Jesus defeated sin and death and he lives. And those who believe will be raised to new life as well. As we read and and hear about the things Jesus did, the Spirit works in us to draw us uh, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And it's in Jesus alone that we have hope. That's what we are celebrating this morning. I'd be foolish to not call you to believe. I don't know what got you here this morning. I was going to keep you moving along through the week, but it would be foolish of me to not say to you, not have the same call, believe. This is what we celebrate this morning, that Jesus died. He paid the penalty of our sin through death. Jesus was raised from the dead. And and it's in all of that that we have hope in this life and into eternity through faith in him. This morning, we celebrate that we have a God who defeated sin and death so that by belief, we can have life with Him. That's what we celebrate. We're celebrating that. This, is cha- this changes us. And so, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to end our time in response like we do every week together as we gather as a church. We're going to respond in a couple ways. First, we're going to respond in celebrating the finished work of the cross through the elements that are set for us in the Lord's Supper communion. I'll explain that here in a second. And we'll also celebrate new life, resurrected life, in baptism, right after our gathering, we'll, we'll head out outside. Jesus with his disciples, the night before, he would walk to the cross, gathered with them and broke bread and shared wine with them. And, and he said to them, this is my body broken for you, showing them the picture of bread, breaking bread and saying, look at this picture. My body broken for you, and he shared wine with them. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Take this and eat and drink in remembrance of me. That's what he's telling his disciples. Look, for us, we get to look back and say, that work has been finished. It's been opened up for us to be in relationship with, with the God of everything. And so we celebrate in the finished work of the cross through these elements. We'll, we'll sing together, and as we sing, here, here's some instructions. So sorry to get practical, but here's some instructions. We are packed in here. Um, there's a lot of people, and, and we'd like to have, if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd invite you to join in and take the elements head back to your seat. But we're asking just one person from every party to come up and grab the elements so we're not all getting up and, and coming to. And here is a little bit of a rotation. If you could come down these aisles, that the, the side aisles, and then circle back around. 
right? Just figure that out so that these aisles are just coming this way, right in the middle. Does that make sense? Someone nods. All right, all right, good. Uh, that's what we're going to do, just celebrate the finished work of Jesus together. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to give you some time to consider these things and then come and celebrate together. We're going to sing a couple songs as we finish out, and then we'll head outside. Let's pray. God, we come this morning to you knowing that you are a God who has a plan. It was a definite plan, your foreknowledge to, um, to crush, as I say, Isaiah says, to crush your son. He was despised and rejected. He did not open his mouth, though he could have. He did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he was slain. He took on the penalty of our sin and the punishment for us, for it, and, and gave us life in faith, gave us life with you forever. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. You have power over the grave, God. We celebrate that this morning. So we're not celebrating in these elements that a dead body, we're celebrating a a body that was brutally beaten and killed, but also rose from the dead victorious. We celebrate in that. God, if there's anyone here today who does not yet know you, and has been looking for a Savior, looking toward themselves to save, I pray that you would break that down, even now, Spirit, to draw men and women, girls and boys, to yourself, that they would be saved, have a life with you. Would you do that work? All these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come and celebrate this time.